Hey, good morning. Oh, thanks. That was nice. Hey, so we're, uh, we started this new series last week, and uh, last week I started off by uh, mentioning a couple of resources that uh, you could pick up if you wanted to uh, kind of read along as a part of the series. And one of those was a book called Just Walk Across the Room. And I want to tell you that we actually have a few copies of that available out at the Connection Point, and uh, we'll sell them at a clearance price of $5. And so if you want to stop out there afterwards and pick up a copy of that, you don't even have to wait for Amazon and uh, FedEx to deliver it to your house. You can uh, take it home with you uh, today. Um, I've got to tell you this morning, uh, Rick did a fabulous job leading, and if you knew how sick he's been the last few days, uh, you would be amazed that he's up here leading at all. So uh, thanks, Rick, for uh, hanging in there with us, and uh, thanks for doing such a good job this morning. Well, we are in this uh, series called The Chair, and uh, we're using the idea of an empty chair to uh, represent the place that God has in his kingdom or his family for every man, woman, and child. There is a place everyone has been invited. And uh, there is a chair for everyone. And as I said last week, though, if you were to figuratively go to God's house, you would quickly discover that there are still a lot of empty chairs. And from what Jesus said to us, God is counting on us to do our part to help fill some of those empty chairs. And so we began exploring that a little bit last week and what that looks like. There is this verse in the Bible that makes it really clear that it is part of our responsibility. It says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. It is so clear that the responsibility of being able to give an answer or to share the reason for our hope in Jesus Christ falls on us. God is counting on us to do our part to help fill the figurative empty chairs that He has in His house. And so last week I began laying out a two-word plan that can help us to live out those instructions in our lives every day. Those two words were to invest and invite. Invest in people and invite them to follow Jesus. Today I want to spend some time talking about that second word, to invite them to follow Jesus. So if you brought your Bibles, and I hope you did, um, open them to Acts chapter 15. We're going to look at several verses here uh, in a story. And so uh, I hope you, again, brought your Bibles and uh, encourage you to open them up, read along with us. Um, Acts is a, a large book in the New Testament. It comes after the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then the book of Acts, and if you get to Romans and First and Second Corinthians, um, you've gone too far. Let me give you a little background here. Acts chapter 15 is sort of the first recorded business meeting of the church. And what has been going on at this point was that there were, there were a lot of people who had been coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But the majority, overwhelming majority of those people who had been coming to faith in Jesus Christ were Jewish. And so with all these Jewish people coming to faith, it almost set up this mentality that, well, you have to be Jewish to be a Christian. But at the same time, Paul was out sharing the story of Jesus with a lot of people, a lot of Gentiles. And at the same time, a lot of Gentiles were stepping across the line of faith and trusting Jesus as their Savior. And so maybe you can see what's coming here. There is this conflict that begins to happen because there are a lot of Jewish Christians who were saying, well, really, you have to be a Jew or at least do what Jews do to be a Christian. And Paul, as he was leading these Gentiles to faith, was saying, I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be. 
And that's kind of what happens here in Acts chapter 15. Listen to what happens beginning in verse 1. Certain individuals came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, that's a pretty high standard for salvation, isn't it? Before you can be a Christian, you've got to have an operation. I'm thinking at this point a lot more women were coming to faith than men. Can't you hear the conversation in a home? The husband says, honey, you know, I know you're enjoying the church down there and you go ahead and you make your decision, but I'm going to have to think about it just a little bit longer. The new members class at that church was just full of women. There weren't very many men there. Listen to what happens in verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. They're going up to Jerusalem because you remember on the day of Pentecost, the day that sort of marks the beginning of the history of the church, there were thousands of people who came to faith in Jesus Christ and suddenly overnight there went from like no Christians, no Christ followers, thousands. And the first mega church of thousands of people was right there in Jerusalem. And so Paul and Barnabas head to Jerusalem, kind of back home to the, to the mother church, the mega church, to try to sort out this issue with them. Verse 3, the church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all of the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything that God had done through them. Verse 5, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now you know what's happening here. There is suddenly this obstacle that stands in the way of outsiders becoming insiders. There is this obstacle that develops that makes it difficult for people to accept the invitation to simply follow Jesus. And do you see who's creating that obstacle? It was the church who was making it difficult. I've run along a ladder today to help illustrate this. This ladder kind of symbolizes the idea of what was happening here. You see, along the way, and it still happens today in the church at times, there are people who who are interested in spiritual things. They're interested in God. But they look at the church and they have this image of God and it's like they're standing at the bottom of the ladder and they they see that they need to get here to this relationship to God, but to them something is missing. Because it seems to them like somebody is saying to them, the church is saying to them, yeah, you've got to get to God. He's up here. But we've taken some of the rungs out of the ladder and they look at it and say, that seems awfully complicated. That that seems difficult. I, I don't understand how to get from here there. Some of the steps are missing. And I don't know what kind of church experience you have in the past, what you grew up in, but you know, throughout history it does seem like sometimes the church has made it rather difficult, doesn't it? I mean, maybe you grew up in an environment and you went to church where the music was so irrelevant that you thought, I have never heard music like this anywhere else in my life. And they used language that you thought, I don't understand a thing they're saying. And they talked about things that just didn't seem relevant to life. And maybe you were in an environment where it was about sit, stand, kneel, sit, stand, kneel. And you thought, this just doesn't apply to my life. 
and maybe you thought at one point, it seems awful difficult to get from here to there. It seems awfully complicated. I don't understand how to get to God. Listen to what happens then in verse 7. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the Gospel and believe. See, it was God's plan that the Gentiles would come to faith. Verse 8, God who knows the hearts showed that He accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as He did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them for He purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Peter says, why are you testing God? Why have you made it seem so difficult for the Gentiles to get to faith in Jesus Christ? Why have you removed the rungs from the ladder? And why are you placing on them a burden that we haven't been able to bear ourselves? You know what he's talking about? He's talking about trying to obey all of the intricacies of the Old Testament law. Peter says, you know what, look around the room here. We haven't even been able to bear that burden of trying to keep the law. And now you're trying to take that burden and place it on the Gentiles? And I wonder if he looked around the room and said, you know, Frank, you, you haven't always kept the law. You remember that whole incident with your son and the the chariot and all of that? And your son, by the law, should have been stoned for what he did. But we all looked the other way. Or maybe you looked around the room and said, you know, who who here has perfectly kept the law? Nobody raised their hand. There were just a lot of bowed heads thinking, yeah, we've, we've never kept the law perfectly. Why are you making it so difficult for people to get to Jesus? And then listen to verse 11. No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Peter says, you know what? Getting to God is supposed to be easy. It's about God's grace demonstrated through Jesus Christ. That's how you get back to a relationship with God. It shouldn't be so complicated. I don't know exactly what happens here, but Peter sort of wraps up and maybe he sits down. And then James gets up to to say some things. And listen to what James says. I think this is the key to the whole verse, the whole story here. Verse 19, he says this. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. James says, here's here's just an observation. Here's an idea, a thought. We shouldn't make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. James says, you know what? We shouldn't make it complicated. We need to put the rungs back in the ladder. We need to make, and it's still true today, oh so true. We need to make the Gospel easy and accessible for people. We need to put the rungs in the ladder so that people can get into a relationship with Jesus. We should not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. So let me spend a few minutes today suggesting some things that I think ought to happen, some rungs that we ought to put back in the ladder to make sure that it is 
Easy and accessible for people to find their way into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Easy like God intended it. That it's about grace that comes through Jesus. Here's the first rung on the ladder. People need to know that we care. And really this is just what we talked about last week, isn't it? It takes us right back to the principle of investing in people. And remember we said last week, it's that really old saying and it's kind of trite, but it's so true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's true when it comes to helping people find their way back to God. And last week we said it's about making small investments in people. People that we encounter every day just looking for simple opportunities to express God's love through caring for them. And we said it's about making focused, concentrated investments into a few people. That we can't do it with everybody, but there ought to be some people in our lives that we are intentionally investing in relationship. We are getting to know their story so that we ultimately can share God's story with them. It's about caring with people. And that's the, that's the first rung on the ladder that has often been missing because I think throughout history, the church, and I mean church at large, has been guilty at times of acting like we really don't care. We're just kind of off doing our own thing isolated from our culture. And it's been great to see that in recent years, including here at Crosspoint, we are reinvesting in our community and saying we do care. We're going to put the first rung on the ladder. The second rung is to be ready to tell your story. To be ready to tell your story. If you read Paul's life as it's recorded in the book of Acts, you find there are at least six times that Paul found himself speaking to often a hostile crowd about God. And you know what Paul chose to do every single one of those times? He told his story. He told his story about how he had encountered God, how God had invaded his life, and how God's transforming power was at work in his life. He didn't debate with them or argue. He didn't read 25 verses from the Bible. He didn't preach a sermon to them. He just told his story. And when it comes to us helping to put one of the rungs back on the ladder, we need to tell our story. Because you know, you know why telling a story is so important? Because people can argue and debate about theology, and they will argue and debate about the Bible, but they cannot argue and debate about your personal experience with God. Now, Paul gives us a great pattern about how we can tell our story. He did the, the same three things almost every time he told his story. He would begin by telling about what his life was like before he came to know God. And Paul, Paul's life was pretty adventurous before. He, he was all about destroying Christianity, killing Christ followers. He, but he would tell that part of his story. Then he would tell about how he encountered God, how God came into his life. Of course, that's a dramatic story too. For Paul, it happened on a, a road to Damascus and this bright light and this encounter with God and God got a hold of his heart. And then Paul, the third part of his story, he would tell how that, that had changed him. How God was transforming. What his life was like since God had become a part of it. And that's a simple pattern all of us can follow. Now, our story may not be as dramatic as Paul's. You may not have you know, been out killing Christians previously in your life and you may not have had an encounter on a road with a bright light. But you know what? All of us have a story. For all of us, there was a story about what our life was like before we knew God. 
And all of us have that time in our life where God became a part of our life and we can tell people how it is that we accepted Jesus as our Savior. And then all of us can talk about the difference that Jesus makes in our life every day. What that transforming power is doing in our lives. All of us can tell our story. And I think that puts a rung back on the ladder that makes Jesus accessible for people. The third rung that I would suggest needs to go back on the ladder is um, we need to tell God's story. We need to tell God's story. Listen again to verse 11. He says, Peter speaking again, he says, No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. You know what he says there? In just a few simple words, he tells God's story. God's story of grace through Jesus. Now, this is where we're going to spend most of our time next week. Let's talk about how to tell God's story. In fact, let me say this to you. If you have friends, people that you know that you have been sharing with them about Jesus and you've been trying to point them to Jesus, but you haven't really given them God's story, if you'll get them to cross point next week, I'll do the best I can to tell them in simple terms God's story of love and how it is that God could transform their life. But let me give you just a quick example today. You know, it is possible to tell God's story with one verse in the Bible. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 simply says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Actually, if you could take the circles off, so I, if you could put the Scripture back up and take the circles off. Good, there we go. Now put the circle on wages. Sorry, I didn't go over this with you ahead of time. Totally my fault. Let me go through this, just a few key words at a time. It says, for the wages. Now, we all know that wages is something that we earn or in a sense we deserve, right? If I work a, a day's labor and I'm told ahead of time that I'll get paid for doing that, I have earned or I deserve to be paid. Well, this verse says that the wages of our sin is death. Because of my sin that I have committed, the things that I have chosen to do that broke God's rules, what I have earned, what I deserve, is spiritual death, separation from God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. The word gift, you know, that's something we don't deserve, right? We don't earn a gift usually. Gifts are given to us freely, often whether we deserve them really or not. And the, this says that the wages of our sin is death, but God wants to give us a gift, and the gift that He wants to give us is eternal life. He wants to give us a gift of eternal life. I deserve death, but God wants to give me eternal life. And how does He want to give it to me? How do I receive that? It's through relationship with Jesus Christ. That's God's story. Summed up in one verse, just a few words. His story that's woven throughout the Bible. Now you're wondering, well then why are you going to talk about it for 20 minutes next week? Well, there might be a few other things we could add in, okay? Rung number four. Last one. I think the next rung is to partner with the church. You know, as we share our story with people and as we tell them God's story, they're going to be, the reality is people, we need a team around us to partner with us in this process. Helping people come to a relationship with God usually isn't a one-person task. It's a chain of events often. And it takes a team. And we are that team for each other. We are partners in helping each other help people find a relationship with Jesus. 
One of the things that will happen as we share our story and as we share God's story is that people will ask questions. And you know what? Sometimes they're going to ask questions that you don't know the answer to. And that's okay. It's okay to say to them, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll find out. And we want to partner with you in being a resource of people that you can come to and say, somebody asked me this question. What's the answer? And we can help you find that answer so that you can go back and tell them. There's another way that I think that we partner with each other. We partner with each other by creating a safe and comfortable place where you can invite people, people that you're trying to influence towards Jesus, where they, people who are searching. They can come to a place like this, and we can help you in that process of telling them about God and filling in the blanks for them. And you know, we worked really hard around here at trying to create a safe, comfortable place for people who are searching for God. You know what? One of the, the best compliments I ever get about Crosspoint is when somebody comes here who has been searching, and after they've been here for a little while, they will eventually say to me sometimes, you know, when I first came there, I was searching, but I found such a warm, comfortable, welcoming environment. And that is one of the best compliments that I ever get about Crosspoint. Last week I had you... Um, Write down the names of uh, people that you're praying for. People that you're praying that will come to a relationship with God. People that you're investing in. And uh, these are all the cards that you uh, gave me. And there's multiple names on some of these cards. probably represents hundreds of people that you're investing in and praying that they'll come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I know what's going to happen as time rolls along. There'll be some of these people that are going to get to the point that eventually you're going to say to them, Hey, why don't you come check out my church with me? And uh, I know that when you do that, you're going to be counting on the rest of us to be your partners in this process. I get phone calls every once in a while where people say, hey Jeff, I've got this friend, I've been working on him, I think they're coming to church Sunday. And sometimes they come right out and say it, and sometimes it's just code for, so that you better bring your A game. You know, and what they're really thinking is, Everything better go really well. And they're also thinking secretly maybe, you're not talking about money, are you? You know what the truth is? When one of us invites our friend to come to this place, they're counting on all of us to be their partners. They're counting on the greeters to be in their places on time and to greet their friend as they come to the campus. They're counting on their partners in the cafe team to be there to serve them to give them some food and a warm welcome to Crosspoint. They're counting on their partners in the Kid Point setup team who come early and they're counting on them to set up and create an environment that will be warm and welcoming so those parents will feel comfortable leaving their children there and can come to this experience and not be distracted. They're counting on their partners at the Kid Point Welcome Center to be there and to get their children smoothly checked in and off to the right classes. They're counting on their partners in the worship team to do, to lead with excellence and to do music that their, their friend will find relevant. They're counting on us, of us who stand on this stage to speak in words and language that their friend can understand. They're hoping that I don't tell any really bad jokes on that day. You get the point. They are counting on us to do our part, to be their partners to make sure the rungs are on the ladder so that it is possible there for their friend to find Jesus, so that the Gospel will be easy and accessible to them. 
Nellie Shoecraft and her little four-year-old daughter were at home in Nashville just a few weeks ago when all the flooding was happening there. She's a college professor. She was grading some papers. She knew the water was rising and suddenly she could hear it lapping against the front door. This isn't her house, but just a picture of Nashville. And uh, it wasn't long after she heard it lapping against the front door that it started gushing into the house. Well, she quickly gathered up her four-year-old daughter, daughter and their family dogs and a couple of toys and her cell phone, and she got them safely into the attic. I, I don't know how she let him know for sure. I think probably with the cell phone. But she called her friend, Tom Morse, who happened to be a swim instructor. Tom got in his car once he learned that she was in danger, drove to the neighborhood, got as close as he could where the water was shallow. Then he waded into it and he began to swim towards her house. He made it into her house. He found uh, a piece of furniture that would float. He got them safely out of the attic and onto that floating furniture and began to push them as he swam back out towards safety. Until they got in sight of rescue workers who got a hold of them and rescued them. And I read that story this week, all the stuff that happened in Nashville, and it made me wonder, what if Tom hadn't gone to rescue her? What would have happened? Would she have drowned, she and her family? I don't know. But it sure is a good thing that her friend went to her rescue. And I think about all the people who live right here around us, who are drowning spiritually. And I wonder what will happen to them if we don't go rescue them. What will happen to them if we just stay where it's safe and secure for us and we don't make an effort, even if it's a little risky, to reach out to them? What if we don't do our best to make sure all of the rungs are on the ladder and that the path to God is easy and accessible? Do you remember what we said last week, the primary reason that Jesus came? According to Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to find lost people and save them. To find lost people and save them. And that priority has not changed. It is still our priority today. And I think we can live it out by simply investing in people and inviting them to follow Jesus. And as we invite them to make sure all the rungs are on the ladder. God, thank You for the gift of salvation. Thank You for Jesus. God, thank You for His heart for lost people and His determination to save them. And God, would You drill deeply into our hearts and give us that same desire, that same determination, that same boldness. God, make us passionate about investing in people and inviting them to follow Jesus. And God, I thank You that we get to partner with You in that process. And I thank You for the transformation that we'll get to see in people's lives as we invest in them. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.